Hebrews 5, verse 9. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now let's turn over. You, you won't be, we won't be coming back to that, those verses, but turn over to Ephesians chapter 4 where we'll spend some more time. Ephesians chapter 4. Let's look at the beginning of verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together but what but by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Let's pray together. Father, every time we come before your word, Lord, you want us to have reverence and awe and an expression of dependence upon you to be able to uh, appropriate all the things that's in it, Lord. And as I've already prayed, Lord, we pray for that your spirit would be our teacher. We pray, Lord, that you would conform us into the image of Christ through these verses today. Help us, Lord, to have open hearts to what you want to say. We don't want to be dull of hearing. We want to have open hearts, Lord. We're grateful that your word's already powerful. We never have to pray for it to be powerful. But, Lord, make our hearts to where we can receive your word, to be ready to be obedient to your word. Not just gaining insight, but gaining obedience, Lord. And we thank you for the privilege of a changed life that every one of us that knows you here gets to experience every single day. We commit this time to you, set it apart for your holy use. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. I am very excited about this new year. I'm always excited about the new year, no matter what day it is. Um, but it's, when it comes around and it's a, it's a brand new year, the calendar's different and so forth, we're thinking uh, about our, what's coming up and what could, you know, Jesus could come back in 2015. He could come back today. That's, there's nothing else prophetically that needs to happen for him to come back. There's no prophecy that needs to be fulfilled. He could come back at any moment. And so as a church, you know, obviously we've had a lot of changes the last few months We've, it's taken a few months for us to adjust to being in a new facility. There's a lot of things that have to be thought through and planned, and we're still fine-tuning things and so forth, um, but it's been an adjustment, and we have many different opportunities that's gonna, that are going to come before us in this new year. We're really reaching out now to, you know, we're reaching out to many, many, many cities because you are from many different cities, and so Obviously, we're reaching out to all those cities, but when we talk about Manteca and Lathrop, now that we're technically in Lathrop, we are reaching out to Lathrop as well in a, in a different way than what we were before because we're here. And some people would never cross that, those railroad tracks down there into Manteca. They'd never even consider it. Some people would, and they do, and they fellowship in those churches, and that's great. But some people would never, ever consider it because it's not in their community, not in their technic technically not in their city. But now we're here. 
And so we can reach out to those people in a way that we couldn't before. So we're going to be praying as a church, Lord, what do you want for us to do? How do you want us to engage this community and Manteca and the surrounding communities and so forth to be salt and light and to have people come to know Christ and to be discipled and to make a difference in this world? He's, he's called us to be a city on a hill. He's called us to, to make an influence and make a difference in this world. He hasn't saved us supremely for our lives to be wonderful and great and comfortable and all of that as, as, as often as those things occur in him. He's called us to be uh, obeying the Great Commission, which is to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So that's, the, that's what we've been tasked with as believers. And, and so I'm very excited. We have some new ministries coming online. The School of Pastoral Ministry, which I refer to as SPM, because uh, I'm lazy and I don't want to have to say all that. But um, I'm very excited. There's going to be men that are going to be coming from all over the country to come to this school, Monday through Friday, 5.30 a.m. to 9 a.m., Monday through Friday, being discipled in their pastoral call. Whole families are going to be lift, uprooted. from. They're going to be committed, quitting jobs and selling homes and doing radical things to be able to obey the calling that God has on their lives and so forth. That requires a huge effort of, of, of pastor teachers that can come in and teach, and God's raised up other pastors from other Calvary chapels and even other non-Calvary chapels to teach and to disciple these men. That's a massive, huge step of faith that I would never, ever embark on apart from him making it clear that if you don't do this, you're in willful disobedience. That's just one thing that's going to start, Lord willing, this year. And there's going to be other things. There's going to be outreach opportunities. There's going to be ways that we can have inroads into this community and other communities and so forth. I have no idea what he has in store, but it's great stuff. It's wonderful stuff. But as individuals, we need to look at our own walk too, because that has a lot to to bear on how the church functions and how the church steps out in some of these things. And also, as we he wants us individually to grow in our walk with him. So this is kind of like a time, a, a convenient time. We should be doing it all every part of the year. But this is a, a, a convenient time for us to have like a self-assessment and to kind of look at how is my walk going? You know, what am I, am I growing? Am I growing at the rate at which God wants me to grow? Are there things that are impeding or getting in the way of uh, him producing fruit and growing in, uh, me in my walk with him? And we can complicate things related to our faith very easily. I know I can. You can make it very complicated, but it's not complicated. It's very simple, actually. Spiritual growth is very simple. But I didn't say that it was easy. It's simple to understand, to understand what the expectations are and so forth. But it's not different. I mean, it's not easy to to grow in our walk with the Lord. Coming, becoming a mature disciple, though difficult, and uh, is simple. And walking closely with Christ is really the essence of all of that. We can we can put like a 40-page plan in place for our lives. Okay, I'm going to do this and this and this and this, and we have a lot of these lot of things. And we do need to do a lot of things and not do some things and so forth. But if you boil all of that down, it boils down to walking with Christ. That's all it is. It's not any more complicated than that. And there's different ways that God calls each of us to walk with him. And I'm not talking about things that are not in the scriptures or anything like that. I'm just talking about how we are to personally walk with him. He may have us approach things and, and, and take advantage of certain things in a completely different way than maybe somebody else, maybe our spouse or a good friend or a family member or whatever, our children and so forth. And so this morning I want to, to share some principles that can be applied different ways or just some options that you could uh, maybe consider take to prayer. Maybe you're doing a lot of these things or you have this kind of heart, but maybe you don't. Or maybe you had it for a while and it's been a while and now you need to go back. Or maybe this is brand new and this, you've not, not engaged in any of these types of things and, and you're like, yes, I've been finally waiting for some practical things. And, and you know, this isn't going to, I wouldn't say this is like an ultra practical lesson on, on Christian growth, but just some things to keep in mind, some things that we can focus on. And I want to begin by looking at this passage in Ephesians chapter 4 that we've looked at. Now, Ephesians chapter 4 really reveals the purpose of the church. And I want you to know what the purpose of the church is. 
And infinitely more importantly, God wants you to know what the purpose of the church is. Because there's confusion out there of why we come together. There's, and, and there's all different kinds of church models and so forth. And we have to know what God says related to what the purpose of the church is. Because I, the purpose of the church includes us. In, in the sense of he is, wants to use us to fulfill the purpose of the church in other people's lives. Not just the benefit that we receive. It's actually dependent upon us obeying what he's called us to do for other people's growth to occur. And that's what he's going to get to in these, uh, these verses. So we want to cooperate with the, the, with the purpose of the church. Now quickly, the context of Ephesians. Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, and it divides into two sections. Chapters 1 through 3 constitute our, um, our inheritance or reveal our inheritance in Christ. And chapters 4 through 6 reveal our proper response. And what's that supposed to look like related to receiving that inheritance? And so we begin, in, and I'm not going to go through the whole chapter, but I just want us to look at verse 1 of chapter 4 real quick. He says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Now notice the word therefore. Now he's just been speaking for three chapters about our amazing inheritance in Christ. Just the first chapter alone is one of the longest run-on sentences in existence uh, related to all that we have in Christ. And he's just, he's just wanting these Ephesian believers to bask in the beauty and the amazing provision of God, that how he has poured out on us so much inheritance. But then he says, in light of all that, we don't just, are not, we're not just recipients alone, and then there's no expectations related to that. He's given us an inheritance, and he wants us to walk worthy of that calling with which we were called. And then chapter 4, 5, and 6 kind of lays out how, how we're supposed to do that. So now, as we, and then he begins in chapter 4 also by talking after this verse, getting into the unity of Christ, one Lord, one Spirit, one calling, all these things, all that we have in common. We have way more in common with other believers outside of our church than we ever have differences. That's what he wants us to see. We focus on our differences. God focuses on what we have in common. And that his expectation is that we will unite based in, on those things and rally around those things. And then, they, they, then he reveals by the Spirit what Christ provided and still provides for us today related to how the purpose of the church is supposed to function. So we start in verse 11 and he says, And he himself gave. Now that's Jesus himself. Jesus himself gave some to be apostles some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. The word equipping means to put it in your intended condition. They would use the word to describe someone that was mending a net or setting a bone if you're a doctor. It's putting something in its intended condition. God intends each believer to, to grow into maturity. And he calls leaders in the body of Christ to equip them, to put them in that condition through feeding them the word of God and through tending them and loving them and caring for them. But he does it for a purpose. Look at the, this, the first part of verse 12. Uh, for, of the saints, for the work of ministry. There's no such thing as the separation between leadership and the laity. It's all, we're all in ministry. And the most amount of ministry that occurs is done by the, the body of Christ, not leadership. And, and the, the leadership are supposed to equip them to be able to do that. But also, notice, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And edifying means to build up. So for the building up of the body of Christ. That's the tending, in my view. That's the tending. Is the feeding, is the equipping, the tending, is the, is the edifying there. And then he says, how long is that supposed to happen? Verse 13, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, and the word perfect means complete, to a complete man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And there's the effects, verse 14, that we should no longer be tossed, be children, spiritual children he's talking about, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. So he knows that if we're not equipped, we're not grounded in God's word, we're going to fall prey to false teaching. I see it all the time. I see posts on Facebook and all these other places quoting teachers that are false teachers. And they have no idea because they don't know their Bible. 
And I'm not trying to be overly critical. I'm just saying that God doesn't want that because there's cost that we pay for fall, falling prey to false teaching. There's no victimless crimes related to false teaching. There's always detriment. There's always things that happen to people's loss or that cause loss, and God hates it. Verse 15, but, it's a contrast, this is what we're supposed to do in the body of Christ, speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things. That's not God's will for us right there. He wants us to grow up spiritually. People can walk with the Lord for 20 or 30 years and never have grown up spiritually. And we look in a, you know, a, a, a crib and we see a little baby and it's cute, but if you're 30 years old and you're hairy and you're still wearing a diaper and sucking your thumb, that's a travesty. We're calling for help. Okay, that's not a good picture. God wants spiritual maturity for each, each one of us that we may grow up. And notice where we grow into, into him. Any leader that doesn't point people to Christ and doesn't help them grow into a further, deeper relationship with him and are drawing people to themselves is a false teacher. He, we are supposed to point people to him, Christ, from whom, that means from Christ, the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. Look at the imagery of a body there. He's talking about joints and knit together and all these anatomical uh, descriptions in the original language there are saying that we are a body, we're one body. And any human body or any body, an animal or whatever, it, that body's inter- interdependent upon the rest of the body. In our Western culture, we're so self-consumed, we think about ourselves all the time and we're thinking that church is supremely for my benefit. And God doesn't see it that way. He sees it supremely for his benefit and for other people's benefit through our lives. And so he knows we're going to be blessed. He's, he's blessed that we are blessed by, by being among God's people and being discipled. We are his children. He loves us. He wants us to grow. He wants us blessed. But he supremely talks to us in relation to us being a body who happen to be individual members instead of being individual members who happen to be a body. He emphasizes that we're a body in the scriptures all over the place, not the other way around. And it's important for us to see that. And then notice there's two occurrences of the word every there. By what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes there. And then the next word is our, he's talking about growth of the body for the edifying or building, it of, building up of itself in love. So it doesn't leave anybody out. Oh, you know, I'm not one of those people who serve. That's for a certain kind of Christian. no. Every part, every, says it twice. That's why he says the word whole there when he says from whom the whole body, saying all of us, we're built up by what every part does its share. And so he calls each one of us to use at least one of our spiritual gifts. We've been given at least one spiritual gift to use that and, and to build other people up and to serve the rest of the body. If, and if by all of that serving going on with every, not some, every person doing their share and serving, then that causes growth of the, of the body and disciples are made. And the purpose of the church is fulfilled. People are mature enough to go out there and preach the gospel and people come in to be discipled. And, you know, and that's how he set things up. And so God wants you to grow. He wants me to grow. And so we need to do our share in building up and serving the body. And, and he wants us to individually grow into maturity. And the kooky thing is, is that what we do sometimes is we think that God has somehow left it up to us related to how much we're going to grow. You could grow or you could not grow. Or you could grow at this percentage or this percentage. And it's just really up to you how much you want to grow. That's not the Christian life. He's called each one of us to grow at his pace. And we discover that as we take up our cross and follow him, which we'll get into in a moment. So I just want to go through seven things that can help us, seven attitudes, seven heart directives, or however you want to say it, initiatives or actions that we can take that will help us grow, or if we're doing those things, to increase and grow in those things. So the first one is, make sure you're a Christian in the first place. That's, I mean, it may seem kind of obvious, I'm in an environment on a typical or normal basis or regular basis where I'm around people that are convinced they're believers and they're not. Some are. Some are not. And they think they are because they believe in God, they go to church, they're religious and all these things, but they've never repented. They've never made a a life repentance 
have had a life repentance moment, you know, where you, I repent of my life of where I've been going and I turn and I, I go follow you, God, and I get surrender my life to you and I'm sorry for what I've done. They've just added religion to their current life. Their life hasn't changed and now they have confidence that they're going to heaven, but they shouldn't. And so it, I'm not trying to pull out the rug of your eternal security underneath you, but it's good for us to do that. I mean, God tells us to do that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul said this in verse 5, examine yourselves as to whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Christ is, is, it, uh, is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. So we should examine ourselves. You know, am I a Christian? Has, has there been a change in my life? And if there hasn't been a change in your life and you just merely believe in God and even agree with the facts of the gospel, but there's never been a change in your life and, and you're, you're the same old person you've always been, you're not a Christian, you're not on your way to heaven, and if you were to die right now, you would be eternally separated from God. That's the truth. Where else in this world are you going to hear that but in a church that believes the Bible and teaches the Bible? Jesus said that many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, and who have done miraculous things in my name, cast out demons and all these miraculous things, so to speak, but they'll say, I never knew you. Jesus said that. I'm not saying that. So test yourself to whether or not uh, you're in the faith. Listen to 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. Now by this we know that we, are, that we know him if we obey his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not obey his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who abides in him ought bought himself also to walk just as he walked. So the test is not what I mentally agree with. The test is what's coming out of my life. The Apostle John also said in that book, and we remember that we went through it. He said, you know, this is how we know the children of light are, the children of God are, if they, if they love. He who says... I love God or love others and have doesn't love God, it's impossible. They don't love God either. So we're, we're not saved by our works, but if we are saved, our works will be evident for all to see. That's what James talks about. Faith without works is dead. And he said, I will show you my faith by my works. We're not saved by works. We're saved unto works. So if I am saved, works will be coming out of me. Obedience will mark my life. And Jesus, when he said in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say, will not be relevant to us. Because we'll have made him our Lord. We will be obeying the things that he says. We will have a fear of him and his word and not wanting to grieve his heart. And we will obey what he says. And we're not going to be perfect. None of us are. But there's going to be a general pattern of obedience that comes through my life that everybody can see, not just myself. Well, I'm a strong Christian, just no one can see it. <laughs> it's like, what? It's like saying, you know, I'm po pointing a spotlight out in the sky right now, but no one can, no one just, it's just, people just can't see it. It's like, no, light is light. People can see light coming forth, and it, it outshines the darkness. So obedience is a great test. Remember, Jesus said that I will liken a man who builds his house upon a sand, upon the sand, to a man who does not obey my word. And those that obey my word, that hear my voice and obey what I say, is like a man who builds his house upon a rock, and when the storms come, that's, that house will stand. Obedience is the test to my maturity, not what I know, not what I believe, merely. I mean, you have to believe the right things too, obviously. But I can believe the right things and not even be in, in the body of Christ. So we have to be testing ourselves. Number two, submit our, ourselves to Christ's lordship. Um, I'm sorry, I got, I, got a, I got a little ahead of myself. That is true. That is the second one, to submit ourselves to Christ's lordship. But that scripture that I read, that goes with this point, okay? So I got to clean things up a little bit. It's okay. You, you're, you're forgiving. You're, uh, you're very gracious, I know. Um, <laughs> so we have to call, we want to call him Lord legitimately. We want to be able to call him Lord because we are under his lordship and we are obeying what he says. We're supposed to take up, um, take up our, our cross daily and follow him. He said, if anyone deny, desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow him. Deny ourselves. There's not cr Christian books that are the best sellers that say, 
10 keys to letting you know how to deny yourself and take up your cross daily. We don't see those. They don't sell a lot of books because our flesh hates that. Our sinful nature hates that. But that's what he says. Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily. Daily? Wait a minute. I thought this was all about just Sundays. (laughs) No? Daily. Take up our cross daily. And he said, follow me. And again, that's going to look different for everybody. Because his path for my life may look different than yours. It's not going to contradict God's word. But his path for me may look a little bit different. And so we have to guard against churchianity. Have you heard about that? You know, where it's all about just being religious and going to church and so forth. And, you know, it's where we go on Sunday, we go through the motions, we do our duty and so forth. And we go on with the, with the rest of our week and our life just how we normally would. And we don't even think twice about him or we don't, you know, engage him in any way. That's what they call churchianity. And if you're raised in the Catholic Church like I was, or another church that's very uh, ritual-based, you can do this. You can fall into this better than anybody. Or you can just go through the motions. I'm just going to church, and that's it. Your heart's disconnected when you're here, and you're not engaging the Lord any other time. That's not a growing relationship with Christ. I want to break through any self-deception here, lovingly and graciously. You are not growing as a Christian if you're only engaging the Lord on Sundays. Or worse yet, you're coming here on Sundays and you're not even engaging the Lord when you're, when you're here. You are not growing as a Christian. You are out of God's will. I want If I had a siren, I would put, turn on a siren to, to jolt you out of your self-deception. It's not Christianity, what you're engaged in. So that's something that's you know has to search all of our hearts. And it can be true for pastors. I've talked to pastors who have, got, have had their heart completely disconnected from the Lord for years. It can happen to anybody. All of us can put on a great show. I think we should be able to earn an Academy Award just like anybody else for certain things. Not hypocrisy, but I mean, we can act. <laughs> we can put on a, a, a great show. So, number one, make sure you're a Christian. Number two, submit yourself to Christ's Lordship. Number three, deny yourself and take up your cross daily. And number four, have daily devotions. This is one of the most important things you can possibly do in your walk with the Lord. It really is your walk with the Lord. It's, now, it's not just having a daily time. It's also praying without ceasing, having that heart of communication with him all the time. But it at least includes that. Jesus had a daily time with, with the Father. And if Jesus needed a daily time with the Father, we need a daily time with the Father. Jesus said, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So we would never question our physical growth, or we would never try to grow physically and only eat once a week. What makes us think we're going to grow spiritually if we're only feeding ourselves once a week? It's going to be just the same result. We're going to get smaller and smaller. We're going to shrink. We're going to lose weight. We're not going to be healthy. Just like physically we wouldn't. We, wouldn't, we won't be that way spiritually. So Jesus is, is longing to spend time with you more than you want to spend time with him. And that should just blow our minds. You could just take that theme and take a long walk and think about how he's waiting there for us every day. Whether it's in your car, whether it's in your whatever. The secret place. Jesus talked about the secret place. Close that door or whatever. Be in secret just between you and him. And have that communication and that, and that uh, communion with him on a daily basis. That is Christianity. That's what it is. That's what walking with Christ is. It's walking with him daily. He said, take up your cross daily and follow him. Because he doesn't give instructions on a weekly basis. He gives instructions on a daily basis. On a moment by moment basis. Because our lives change on a daily basis, on a moment-by-moment basis. And he deserves that glory on a moment-by-moment basis, on a daily basis, not just a weekly basis. And, and let me just give you a practical tip that really helped me as a new believer. Don't get tripped up on time. Oh, I'm going to do it an hour a day or 30 minutes a day or whatever it is. And if I don't do that, I'm failing or I'm falling short. It, that's a trap. What if you said that to your spouse? Honey, I'm going to discipline myself 
to spend 30 minutes a day with you. How would she, how would she feel? Really? You have to discipline yourself. Okay, you know, why don't you make that 10 minutes till you can not have to discipline yourself anymore? I mean, you know how it goes. We, we, we have our sinful nature, and that's why we don't want to spend time with the Lord. We have a, we, that sinful nature wants power. It doesn't want to be dis- crucified. That's what it ha- we, ha- we can't reform our flesh. We can't reform our sinful nature. It has to be crucified. It has to be starved. And it doesn't want that. It wants all the things that it wants. So we have to deny ourselves daily. And maybe you used to do that. Maybe I'm speaking to someone that's walked with the Lord a long time. You haven't done that in a long time. Especially consistently. It may be years since you've done it consistently. That's what he's calling you to all the time. Is a deep relationship with him every single day. To hear his voice. To have him redirect your life during the day. I don't want you to go to that coffee place. I want you to go to this coffee place. Because I'm going to have someone there that you're going to talk to. Or whatever it is. I'm going to save your life from a car accident. Or whatever it is. I mean, he, we have to be led by him all the time. And our lives will be transformed. So have daily devotions. Number five, grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ through steadfastness or faithfulness. Hold your place here. Actually, we won't probably come back to Ephesians. Um, so you just turn over to Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3. Let's begin reading in verse 17. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware. Anytime there's beware in the scriptures, I want to be paying attention. Beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the air of the wicked. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Growing in grace is growing in our confidence in the grace of God. That's the starting place. That's why I recommend people read Pastor Chuck's book in our equipping library, Why Grace Changes Everything. That transformed my life. I've read it multiple times. To have that foundation in the grace of God. So when I fall short, I'm not doubting his love. I'm not doubting his acceptance of me or any of those things. And I realize that he is working with me on the basis of his grace and his faithfulness, not my performance or lack thereof. And so he wants us to continue to grow in that grace. There's nothing I can do to get him to love me more or get him to love me less. But then he also adds in verse 18, growing in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember when we read in Hebrews in the beginning, the writer of the book of Hebrews was saying to those believers, you should be teachers by now, but you're not. I can't go into these deeper things because you can't handle it. And so there is a great example of God not leaving it up to us on how much we grow and how much we don't grow. Because his expectation for those believers is that they'd already be teachers by then. They had to go back to the elementary truths and they had to get milk again. They'd grad- milk is great in the beginning, but then you're supposed to graduate to be able to handle meat. And they could not digest meat anymore because they had fallen, you know, they had neglected that walk with Christ. And they hadn't grown, so they had to have that milk all over again. Now, devotions is, daily devotions is supremely how that growth happens, is, is communing with Him. But there are many other ways that that happens where we grow in the knowledge of the Word of God. Please don't depend on Sundays as the only time that you get fed the Word of God and engage God in His Word. You will, there's too much to learn in that book. I don't go fast enough. I'd have to go through like a book a week or something. Even then, there's something, though, about sitting alone with Christ and having his word open and praying to teach you his word. And he illuminates that word to your heart in such a special, specific way for what you're going through at that moment that you receive that feeding right from him on that day. And you get that knowledge and you learn something that's completely different than what you ever, how you ever saw that passage before. If you walk with the Lord longer than 20 years, you should have already read through the Bible multiple times. You should have a handle on the word of God a good handle on the Word of God. You should be able to know the purpose of the law of Moses 
You should know the whole progression of how Israel ended up uh, in captivity, the two times they were taken into captivity, the two major times, how they came into the land. You should know the difference between the four Gospels. You should know that what the book of Acts is, how much of the book of Acts is binding upon our lives. You should know how the, what the, the, all, all your spiritual gifts, or the ones at least he's revealed to you by this point, how to function in that spiritual gift. You should know the, the, the whole issue of eternal security. You should know all about the Trinity. You should know all about the, the evidence that the Bible is the word of God. You should be able to know how to defend your faith. You should be able to know all about Christian giving and what that means. There's, there's expectations that God has for you if you walk with the Lord for two decades. So are you drifting? Are you going backwards? Are you not going forwards? I'm really just, the Lord laid this heavily on my heart. The new believers usually know what they're supposed to be doing and they're growing. Many, most often I see that. They're devouring God's word. It's the ones that have walked with the Lord for a long time that have neglected their faith many times the most. They haven't preached the gospel in five years. They haven't won anyone to the Lord in a long time. That's not moving forward. That's not growing. That's not maturing. We're supposed to be able to lead someone to Christ and help them be discipled in their faith. We're supposed to be able to actively use our spiritual gift and help others understand what their spiritual gifts are so that they can use their spiritual gifts. There's a high expectation, and the deception is he's left it up to me to decide. And that's not the case. We've been bought with a price, we're told in scriptures, in the scriptures. We are not our own. He owns us. He determines how we progress and how we grow. The seventh thing I wanted to mention was that when we're in a trial, we shouldn't walk in defeat through unbelief, willful disobedience, and unfaithfulness. You know, God calls us more than conquerors in his word. Why does he do that? He's just not trying to pump us up. Because we are more than conquerors. We are. He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Let me read um, Romans chapter uh, 8, verses 35 and 30, through 30, uh, 35 to 37. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Jesus gave us a promise that we usually don't want to claim. And that is, in this life you will face tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And over time, we may know that in the beginning, but over time we somehow think, and there's so many Christian books, unfortunately, that are focusing on this, that God owes us some great financial prosperity prosperous you know with healthy where there's no trials like those things or other things and everything is if everything's going right if i'm obeying the lord and that i shouldn't really have many problems that's not biblical the apostle paul had problems on top of problems on top of problems on top of problems to the 10th 15th 20th power there was an exponent above his trials And he completely went through one thing after another, after another, after another. Was he doing it right? Was he serving Christ the way he should be serving Christ? Was was there a lack of faith in his life? No. He had incredible hardship. And sometimes we feel God owes us something that he never promised to owe us. That wasn't the deal. When we signed up, he said, follow me wherever I lead. Take up your cross, follow me. I'm not guaranteeing anything in terms of how your life's going to turn out. It's going to be what I want it to be, and you're going to be a disciple. You're going to be conformed to Christ, into Christ's image. You're going to be used by me. You're going to make a difference in this world for eternity. But beyond that, in the temporal things, you're not owed anything except food and clothing. He doesn't even promise you a home. I defy you to try to find where he promises that we will have a house in this world. He didn't have a house. It's not there. (laughs) and so that's the truth of the scriptures we can make up all these fancy things and sell a lot of books and be popular on the internet and the blogs and all that but the truth is he calls us to follow him no matter what he says to do and no matter how our life ends up no matter what who is taken out of our lives no matter what we lose and even if we lose everything we still have ephesians chapter one ephesians chapter two all that inheritance that no man can touch We have all of that wealth, spiritual wealth. We are pilgrims passing through. This isn't our residence. This isn't our permanent place. 
We have a, a P.O. box in heaven. We don't have a physical address here. We're, we're part of it. We have our citizen in, citizenship in heaven. So he calls us, and I'm not minimizing the pain of trials. Trust me, I've gone through plenty of trials. But God's called us to understand the purpose of them. Romans chapter 8, 28. We, call, we, print, we quote that all the time. That God uh, so loved the... Or not, that's John 3, 16. I got to get this right here. Um, up here. He works all things together for good to, to those who are called and are, uh, who love God. And I'm, I'll get it. Who, who love God and are called according to his purpose. Then verse 29 is the really important one that we usually don't quote. And he talks about for, for those that he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. The good that he talks about works all things together for good in verse 28 is defined for us in verse 29 to be further conformed to the image of Christ. That's what he's working all things together for in our lives. To conform us to the image of Christ. To make us more holy. He's not supremely concerned about our happiness. He's supremely concerned about our holiness and our, and our fruitfulness and our maturity. And he wants us to know that. That he... That just like in, in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 12 when he talks about discipline and we receive discipline as sons, it proves that we're not illegitimate and that no training seems pleasant at the time but painful. But in the end, it produces a harvest of righteousness by those who have been trained by it. So we shouldn't look at our spankings and our training as God turning his back on us or, not, or, or hurting us or, or being against us. He's training us and making us better just like any good parent does for their children. James 1 talks about the purpose of trials and to count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And, and the benefits, he talks about, produces perseverance and perver- perseverance must finish its work so that we may be complete, not lacking anything. It's a beautiful thing how he works those things out. So we can't be stumbled by them. We need to trust God even when we don't understand. We need to have faith in him. Reuben talked about that last week. We need to have faith in God, not faith in our faith, we need to have faith in God. And, and in those times when we don't understand, and we shouldn't use those times as an excuse for will, willful disobedience or rebellion in, in not obeying Him. Again, that's a lordship issue. The time when I'm going through the hardest, difficult things, my obedience so, many of the time, so, many, so much of the time is the thing that carries me through that trial. But when we, because He doesn't call us to, to, He doesn't promise to deliver us out of every trial, but He's promised to deliver us through the trial. To give us that, to provide his faithfulness to us in helping us through that trial and to use it to make us more like Christ. Or we can use it to, again, to fall into a particular sin and, and we don't understand that God's freed us from the penalty and the power of that sin. Read Romans 6 and 7 and 8. Oh, while you're at it, read the whole book. Okay? But we, you know, we're freed from the power of sin. And those that are trapped in certain sins and were weighted down by them and, and they can't get free, they start believing the lie that I can't ever be free. That somehow God has, makes it, frees everybody else, but he can't free me. That's a lie. He's freed us from the power of sin. We just have to be able to put off the old man, put on the new man, and to be able to, to take every thought captive and to have accountability and all those things. He's given us a way to remain Free again, I, I, I quote this a lot. Second Peter chapter one verse three: As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. There's nothing that we don't currently have that we need to live obedient to God. To God. The, the first century church did not have a disadvantage, not having psychology and not having all those things. They just had God and His Spirit and His Word. They weren't at a disadvantage. They had everything they needed to live obediently. They had just as much sin. They had just as much places to, to sin. No, they didn't have the internet, but they had full-on, full temples dedicated to sexual expression all around them. And they could go in there anonymously and do, engage in all kinds of stuff and no one would ever know. Same type of thing as the internet. Secret sexual sin. They could do it all day long back then, just like we can here. And God's called us to leave that behind and repent of those things. But all of those things, as I talked about faithfulness, our faithfulness will help us so much related to growing in our faith and growing in maturity. Faithfulness. 
where God sees consistency in the things he's called you to. We shouldn't be so, uh, it shouldn't take so, uh, so le- uh, little for, to bump us out of something that he's called us to do or to be in fellowship with other believers or whatever it is. We need to be, when things are the most difficult, we need to be faithful. He calls us to be faithful. Many of you are, most of you are, are faithful and you're consistent and all those things and what God's called you to be. But when, the, when uh, he just said in that verse that I read a few minutes ago about steadfastness that we looked at, that we turned to, that this lack of steadfastness is what causes us to be vulnerable to falling away into sin and being deceived. So be faithful in whatever he's called you to do. Be faithful in who he's called you to be. Ask for his strength to, to, to do what he's called you to do. One other thing, I don't know if I did seven or eight or whatever, but one other thing I want to add, and that is to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Very, very, very important. And I had it somewhere in here. <laughs> you just miss a couple weeks, and, and uh, there we go. And so it was number six. That's what I wanted. I skipped six. You probably noticed that. Why even have notes? Um, but number six, continuously be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter five, verse 18. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And this could be a, a completely different standalone teaching. I mean, we have to be filled. We have to be getting our power from him. He hasn't called us to roll up our sleeves in the power of our own strength and do the Christian life. We will fail. And many, many people fail and they wonder, it's just not working. God's word isn't working or whatever it is. And it's not that there's anything wrong with his word. It's that you're just not getting the power. The what. There's nothing wrong with the what. That's the God's word. It's the how that you're missing. You're missing his power. And in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he told the disciples, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be, my witness, you shall be, shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We will never know the fullness of what God has for us if we're not filled with the Spirit. It begins with being baptized with the Spirit. You know, Jesus talked about that the, because they'd already been regenerated here in Acts chapter 1, in verse 8. They'd already been regenerated in John chapter 20. They'd already been indwelt by the Spirit. They needed the Spirit to come upon them. Sometimes that happens at salvation. Sometimes it doesn't. There's a whole study, if you want to go on our website, Acts chapter 1, when we started uh, the fellowship, that I went through all of that. And and you can read it in Chuck's uh, book on uh, living water, on the Holy Spirit. He goes through the with, in, and upon experience. But there's a point in time where we have to have the Spirit come upon us and empower us for ministry But then after that, and we see it in the book of Acts, where they're refilled, where they're refilled with the Holy Spirit. Remember when they were being persecuted, they came in together and prayed and asked for boldness. There was an earthquake and the house shook and they were all filled with the Spirit. They'd already been there on the day of Pentecost. They'd already been baptized with the Spirit, but they were refilled with the Spirit. One time the Apostle Paul looked at someone and he instantly was refilled with the Spirit and knew this person had faith to be healed and he prayed and that person was healed. So Ephesians chapter uh, 5, verse 18 that I read says, be being filled with the Spirit. The tense is continuous. So it's literally saying, be being filled with the Spirit. Continuously be filled with the Spirit. How that practically works is, well, first of all, whenever we draw near to Christ, that obviously empowers us and fills us and so forth. But there are moments when we sense that we don't have power to obey God's word. And, and we, we, he, we know what the, we're supposed to do. We know what the standard is. You're sensing, I don't have the power to obey. And so you pray right then, Lord, fill me with your spirit right now. Give me your power to obey what your word says right now. And I've never had him in, in 25 years of walking with the Lord. I've never had him, had him not answer that prayer. I'll be talking with someone and I won't even know what to say. Sometimes some of you, <laughs> I'll be talking to you. I don't know what to say and you're wanting help or whatever. I'm like, Lord, I'm... Fill me with your spirit. Help me. Give me the insight. And he will give me that insight every single time. There's a reason why the Apostle Paul was led by the Spirit to write to the Ephesians, the same people that we've looked at related to the purpose of the church, to be filled with the Spirit. He's saying don't be under the influence of alcohol. Be under the complete influence of the Holy Spirit. 
And so maybe it's been a long time since you asked to be refilled with the Spirit. That would be very, <laughs> I'd recommend that highly, to ask to be refilled with the Spirit. Or maybe you've never been baptized with the Spirit. You know, the Lord Jesus said in, in Luke 11, he said, You being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? At salvation, I'm not, we don't lead people to pray or whatever to, 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 to have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes into their lives when they receive Christ. They're indwelt by the Spirit. But when he's talking about, he's talking about the Lord's Prayer there. And he's talking about approaching God and asking God. In the Jewish mind, the ultimate of ultimates is to receive the Holy Spirit that no one could have except the priests and the, the prophets and the people that God came upon for service. He's going the ultimate route here. Ultimate thing they could ever ask for. He's saying that's how willing your Father is to bless you when you approach Him in prayer. Even the Holy Spirit, He will give you when you ask. And I believe that's what Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 is, t- is talking about, is asking God to fill you with his Holy Spirit, to get that power on a regular basis. So those just seven, just to start. I know they're not exhaustive, but those are some things just to start the new year. Maybe Lord just spoke to you about one of them, or all of them, or maybe he said, well, not just those, I'll give you ten more. I don't know. I mean, he's faithful to give us what we need and to guide our lives the way he should guide them. But he has great plans for us, church. He has great plans for us this year. He wants to use our lives. He wants us to be fruitful. He wants us to bring him glory at our work, at our school, everywhere that we go. He wants to use our lives. And he calls us to commune with him, to be sons and daughters of his, to spend that time with him, which he's looking forward to more than we do. Take advantage of that. There's a reason why we talk about that daily devotion all the time, because that's the key. I've been in many, many counseling appointments, and I don't ask people, I don't ask people, do you have a devotional life? I ask them, describe your devotional life. And I was taught that because it gives me more information. That gives me so much more to work with. Not like, oh, I gotcha, you know, something they bust them with more at all, but it helps me understand how I can help them have a more fruitful time with the Lord and go deeper into the into him on a daily basis but many many times over 90 percent of the time especially during certain types of counseling appointments they say i don't have one at all there's nothing to describe and they're frustrated they're like i've been failing and failing and failing and it's getting worse and worse and worse i'm like you've been trying to do this in the power of your own strength you need god's strength you need god's infusion of his holy spirit and his power and his life to bear fruit through your life. Remember what Jesus said? He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. He's talking about abiding in him. Maybe some of us here have gone through this last year or the last recent history trying to do things and not abiding in him. And you're wondering why there's no fruit. Well, there's no fruit because you're not abiding in him. You're not making your home and dwelling and living in him. That's what abide means. And you want fruit coming forth from your life, and no one wants it more than God, but you may want it as well, obviously, and that's not going to happen if you're self-dependent. The people that are the most self-dependent are the, the, the least used people in this world for Christ, and God knows it. That's why he had to break Paul, because Paul thought he was something, and he had to humble Paul so that he wouldn't be dependent upon himself, so he would have... Paul, if he didn't have that humbling, he'd have devotions with himself every day. I'm going to spend time with myself and get that power, you know. But now he's communing with Christ because he was humbled and realized that he, apart from God, he can do nothing. So that's the main reason why he chooses people like us who aren't like Paul, the foolish people, the foolish things of this world, because we're supposed to know that and we're supposed to be dependent upon him and that way he can bring life through our lives and bear fruit through our lives. And then when the pruning comes and the lifting up of the branches and the pruning and the chopping and all of that, that we go, what are you doing? What are you doing? He says, easy, calm down. It's because I want you to bear more fruit. It's not because I'm against you. It's because I'm for you. I want you to bring forth fruit. Let's pray together. Father, have mercy on us, all of us. Thank you that you're so gracious. Thank you that you're so loving. We want to grow in our walk with you. We want to bring you glory. Thank you, Lord, that you've been speaking by your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, that you're, you're making changes right now. 
And I pray, Lord, you'd help all of us to continue to hear your voice related to how you want us to grow in a deeper way. Thank you that you stretch us, Lord. Help us to receive that stretching. Help us to welcome it. Help us, Lord, to accept difficulty as a means by which you show your faithfulness and your love to make us more like Christ, which we say we want all the time, Father. Help us, Lord, to receive every way that you want to do that, Lord. And I pray as a body that, Lord, we would next year at this time, we wouldn't even recognize ourselves, that we would be completely different than how we are now and way more Christ-like. And I pray, Father, that this little church, Lord, your church, would make a massive difference. Lord, we are so grateful that you specialize in using people like us, as flawed as we are, to make a huge difference for eternity. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing this